Good morning, and uh, welcome to Star Trek Sundays. It's week three. I'm Victoria, and with me is my co-host, T. Today, we're going to be discussing the Kobayashi Maru no-win scenario. At the top of the room, we have pinned the Star Trek Sundays link tree, which lists the episodes covering this theme that we'll reference today. Thank you, T, for curating a collection of episodes for us to revisit. I enjoyed my, my week's homework. Star Trek Sundays is a passion project for T and me and forms part of a new YouTube channel, which will post highlights from the conversations on Clubhouse. Once we have a few videos posted, we'll link the channel in the Star Trek Sundays link tree. Once again, it was a pleasure revisiting the episodes I'd seen of Star Trek Next Generation and finally dipping my toes into the subsequent series and, of course, my first viewing of Star Trek Wrath of Khan. I'm really looking forward to diving into today's topic. Uh, we'll be inviting uh, people up to the stage to share uh, once we get through our introductions and our um, first question to T on, on the subject. So for now, I'll turn the mic over to T. Thanks, Victoria. Uh, the Kobayashi Maru is a staple of Star Trek. It spans multiple generations and several series. It first appeared in the timeless movie, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. I actually didn't know you watched that for the first time, so that's pretty cool. Uh, the Kobayashi Maru was a simulation in which the cadets were faced with a no-win situation and tasked with captaining a ship through it. The Kobayashi Maru is the name of the ship that the cadets were piloting when they encounter a uh, Klingon birds of prey. The cadets be, being tested are not told this, but they effectively face three options. The destruction of the ship in battle, the death of the crew at the hands of the Klingons, or mutiny if the crew is it attempts to retreat. The test is, is designed as a psychological one to see how the cadets will react under conditions where the odds of success are not in their favor. The type of psychological test appears in just about every Star Trek series, so I thought it would be fun to discuss some of the harder questions that get asked each time the Kobayashi Maru simulation occurs. Yeah, that's great. I was, thanks for that. I, I was surprised at how often that comes up, but I think it's because it comes up so often in our own lives. So um, as, as we've discussed, so we'll get into that um, shortly. So uh, thanks again. And this is the Star Trek Sundays room in the Atheism Club on Clubhouse. We were discussing the Kobayashi Maru no-win scenario. I'll be bringing people up to the stage to share your thoughts in just a few minutes. Um, you mentioned Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, which again, yeah, I just saw this week for the first time. Uh, and you've just discussed the, uh, or given us a, a rundown of what the Kobayashi Maru um, scenario is. Can you provide a summary to remind those who didn't get a chance to review Wrath of Khan, what uh, was covered in Wrath of Khan? And then I have a couple of questions for you about that. If you haven't seen Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, which originally premiered in 1982, uh, this movie is a classic. Uh, if you know it, the if you know the plot summary, uh, you know the plot summary because it was one of the ones where, you know, Spock dies at the end and it's just, you know, spoiler alert 19 20, 30 year old or 50 year old movie whatever it is um at this point 
um, you, you should go see this really great movie, 40 year old movie, whatever it is. Um, so in the movie, uh, the Vulcan cadet, uh, Savik is piloting the Kobayashi Maru when it's attacked and destroyed by Klingons. Now, initially we're not told this, but it's a simulation. And after the simulation ends, uh, she challenges the ability to win given the available options. It's a revealed to her that one person, Captain Kirk, was able to beat the Kobayashi Maru scenario by hacking the simulation and changing the parameters. Now, I chose this because first and foremost, it was the first time we got introduced to the Kobayashi Maru scenario. It was also my favorite Star Trek movie, but I think most importantly, it highlights the schism between the mindset of the Federation, who are pragmatists and accept losses, and how that's compared to the cocksure yet results-generating attitude of Captain Kirk, who believes there is no such thing as a no-win scenario, only a lack of options considered. Yeah, I, I find that still a little bit um, perplexing because um, the way I saw it was he cheated. And so we, we ask, is he, is he that good? Or is he reckless? But my question kept coming back, like, is this the ultimate fake it until you make it? Because everybody, he goes down as a legend for passing it, but it turns out that he cheated. And yet I wasn't sure whether I was supposed to interpret that cheating as being, you know, really smart. And was it just a hack? Um, so what do you think about that? I think that, you know, he, he demonstrated some of the out-of-the-box thinking that's required of a, of a captain in a, in, a, in a situation like that. And I think that was part of the challenge, was to challenge them to think outside of the box, to come up with solutions that um, were not necessarily, you know, uh, seen as available to them, even though the simulation was designed to only have three outcomes. Um, I think that, you know, fake it till you make it is is definitely a valid strategy in situations where um, it produces results. And I think that's one of the things where, you know, he produced results and he was not afraid to, you know, send people into sacrifice and uh, knew the knew the consequences. And I think that that was one of the things that got highlighted at the end of the movie is, you know, sort of Spock was answering the question of the Kobayashi Maru. No, you don't have to lose you uh, the whole the whole scenario. You just have to sacrifice in order to keep, um, you know, in order to keep the crew alive. And so I think that, um, you know, uh, the 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 Federation in, in their thinking was being too linear. And I think that uh, Captain Kirk was demonstrating a, a critical aspect of of actually being a good crew member, which is outside the box thinking. Um, and then, of course, later, the sacrifice of Spock. Yeah, I did. I did like the way I, I, it, it was bookended. The Kobayashi Maru was this layer in this movie. And you had the whole Wrath of Khan. Uh, but this the way that it was tied up with it beginning with this test that all these cadets had to go through and then ending with the answer. That's sort of how how I saw it. And um yeah, you know, it was a, a bit of a cheesy movie. It's a, you know, 40 years old, but I was touched by much of it. So I I 
I really enjoyed that. Um, I don't think that before we started this series um, that I, I don't I don't think I ever thought I'd sit down and watch The Wrath of Khan, uh, loving the TV shows, but never got into the movies. And now I can't wait to see them all just to, to see what themes they bring up. So um, we've got a few people in the audience here. Uh, we'll bring them up. I just want to remind everybody that this is the Star Trek Sunday's Room in the Atheism Club on Clubhouse, and we're discussing the Kobayashi Maroon Owen situation. So I'll invite a few people up and we can talk about the Wrath of Khan uh, and the Kobayashi Maru. And we'll be getting on to talking about some of the other episodes too. There was uh, Star Trek Next Generation, Coming of Age, and uh, Thine Own Self. Uh, and so we'll we'll talk about how the theme actually uh, shows itself in those episodes as well. So let's just get a few people up to see what they want to say. I recognize that the the acting here is cheesy. That's kind of the joy of it. I think that it's important that you know uh, this this is one of the things that uh, uh, it, the the overacting of of Ricardo Montalban as Khan quoting uh, Moby Dick to Kirk uh, as he activated the Genesis missile. That was, in my mind, uh, part of what made the movie great was this this uh this need to show this this you know deep hatred and emotion and you know ricardo montalban just owning it in terms of like that role and bringing forth that expression yeah yeah it, it, it's it's funny because we we use the word cheesy and sometimes it 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 sounds like it's a negative, but I completely enjoyed this movie, um, every bit of it. And I don't know that if if it was less cheesy that it would have been any more enjoyable. Right? So uh, welcome to the stage, Sean. Um, so do you think, I'll just ask you the question that I put out to T and which I was contemplating. And then uh, if you have anything further to add, you can add that. But do you think that um, that Kirk was uh reckless or uh that he was a cheater or that he was just this good and and that we should all just think that he was that exceptional i i think it showed that he didn't want to lose so it was a little bit about ego and yes it was about thinking out of the box but um you know um we're talking about the original one right not the 2009 Kobayashi Maru because um, I think it's the same one I mean I think it's the same thing so um, yeah I think he cheated <laughs> and that in life sometimes we face our own Kobayashi Maru uh, situations and we can't get out of them we have to deal with them head-on and um, but he you know he was always an egotistical person and um, and that helped him a lot um and it was well played by william shatner so um yeah it was what what it was worth yeah you you really should watch it on the 2009 reboot the kobayashi uh, maru maneuver because it's just done really well it's just done really well i just think that in the original with the the enterprise hanging in the nova and crippled and the the orchestral music swelling that there was with 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 
Ricardo Montalban quoting Moby Dick and Shatner, you know, desperately trying to get, you know, the warp core back online. That was a moment. Cheesy acting be damned. That was a scene that, that, you know, they were telling a story and they wanted to tell a story about this epic moment. And I thought that they got that across. So, yes, and it was so much better than the uh, original Star Trek movie, which some of us Trekkies called the, um, what do we call it? We call it the, um, the, 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 the long blue um, movie because everything was sort of in a, a different shade and it just went on and on and on. Um, so the, the the Wrath of Khan was such a different movie, such an improvement. Yeah, um, six and a half just like flying around the Enterprise in the in the first, you know, part of the movie. And, and, and Spock flying through space for what seemed like an eternity. It was, it was an embarrassment as far as the comics. Yeah, and I'm I'm sort of surprised they got permission to go forward, but thank God they did, um, because it was a disappointment. Well, I think you bring up something really important, which is that they really humanize the people, and I think that was a good move, in terms of making McCoy give um, Shatner, you know, give uh, McCoy give uh, Kirk's character the glasses, and and have them be friends and have them be. You know, have the the Kobayashi Maru scenario. I thought that you know, tricking people into thinking that this is a real scenario, and then they pull back the curtain and no, it's a simulation. I think that they really stepped up their games in term in term of production on this movie. So I think you're right. Yeah, it the the movie was just like some type of a episode continuation from the original series with better special effects. But there wasn't the connection between the cast that I was expecting. There was new people, of course, at it, and um, and, and they had their own backstory, which wasn't super, de- you know, explored. And it was just sort of like, oh wow. But but if you're a Trekkie, it's like, well, this is better than nothing, and this is new. I I, I get that, <laughs> I get that for sure. Uh, it's I I'm uh, a big fan of the James Bond films, and a, a bad James Bond film is better than no James Bond film. Um, Jamesy, welcome to the stage. Um, getting back to the Kobayashi Maru and uh, the Wrath of Khan and Kirk, um, what do you think? Was was this? Uh, I, I'd like to know about the whole when he he goes down in history of of uh, being the only person who's ever been able to to solve it or 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 pass the test, and yet you know he did it cheating, and and there's this, um, you know, this feeling that that some people like for me, I, I think well he cheated, so he didn't really pass, and other people think well by hacking it he passed, and that makes him smarter than others, and. Um, and one thing that I'd like to get to after Jamesy shares is is perhaps how we see that in real life. Because I kept thinking, is this what some of these CEOs do <laughs> when they cheat their way to the top? So, um, Jamesy, what do you think about this whole scenario? Well, I, I think all of the Star Trek captains are kind of embodiments of doing what must be done. Um, they all kind of play with like what their uh what their like guidelines are and 
and Kirk is very much like the the space cowboy, right? Um, he's the Han Solo of Star Trek. So, like his version of doing what must be done is just kind of like described by coloring outside the lines a little bit. Well, that's interesting. Do you think that Han Solo was, um, I, I, I'm going off topic here for a second, but do you think that Han Solo was uh, formed a little bit on the Kirk character? Oh, I'm getting some thumbs up here. Okay. <laughs> uh, maybe that's a whole other show. <laughs> I, I, I wasn't alive back then, so I'm not even sure which one came first, but the, the parallel of like the rebellion being uh, revolutionary America and the empire being England, I think is pretty obvious as far as like that compares to Star Trek um, Star Trek's themes are timeless they I think they refer a little bit less to the past and more to just like this is an issue that humanity is always going to have to deal with not only is Star Wars a whole other topic it's a whole other religion Ah, yes, yeah, um, for sure, for sure. Um, well, uh, maybe, uh, T, I don't know what you think. Maybe we should move on to to try to incorporate some of these other themes um, in so that we can talk about the Kobayashi Maru uh, in general and not just, uh, you know, one movie. Um, I'd like to move on to the coming of age. And if you wouldn't mind giving us a little bit of a a summary of that to see how that fits in. I'd appreciate that. Um, coming of age, the next generation, uh, season one, episode 19 originally aired on March 14th, 1988. So in this episode, Wesley Crusher faces the Starfleet Academy entrance exam on Relva, Relva seven, uh, Wesley's entrance entrance exam concludes with a surprise psych test in which he thinks an emergency has occurred and he has to rescue his fellow cadets from a smoke-filled room. It's not until after he's made the hard decision to sacrifice one cadet to save himself uh, and, and another cadet that the true nature of the test is revealed to him. I chose this episode because while this doesn't actually get referred to, as a Kobayashi Maru scenario, it's clearly an example of the same thinking of the Federation with psych evaluations on cadets using no-win scenarios. In the end, Wesley learns a critical lesson about the hard decisions that get made aboard a starship and how those same types of choices got made and that led to the death of his father. Right, yeah, I that was interesting and and deep uh for me because you know it wasn't just that they were testing him but this this test that they give to the the cadets is personalized for them and um and i wondered whether it was not just personalized um because they knew that this was his fear based on what happened with his father um but that it was to help them heal through some of this uh, because, you know, he didn't get in, he didn't pass and get into the academy this time. Uh, but there seemed to be some revelation he had with respect to his father. And I, if I'm correct in this, it was Picard who had to make that decision, which ended up leaving Wesley's father and Beverly's husband um, to die. And so uh, 
that was just uh again one of these things where where it it seems so real like this is science fiction and it's way out but there's still these human things that that uh we go through so um you know, Wesley had to make this choice to save one of these people. Um, and in my uh, estimation, he saved the person who needed the physical help to move. The other person couldn't move because of his fear. And so he, he just wasn't able to save that person. It's slightly different from uh, some of the other themes that we'll talk about uh, in or, or scenarios in uh, some other episodes. But that choice and the thought of Picard having to live with the choice he made that um, left a father and husband dead, and then he, Picard having to to work with Beverly and and almost help raise Wesley, um, I, I kept thinking about Picard having to live with that decision. Um, and perhaps that was what Wesley was doing too, was he could empathize a little bit more. And so what I wanted to do was move this into like talking about the hard choices we've had to make. And so I wonder if you've got any um, examples of a hard choice you've had to make that has has been similar or might fit this scenario. I think you touched on a couple important things there. First of all, yeah, it was Picard. Yes, he did have to live with that decision. And that was really, really a, a topic that got brought up frequently was that hard choice and, and having to live with that, um, even though it was sort of, you know, brought up in, in a very subtle way. A lot of the times it wasn't, you know, linked together in an obvious way. It was linked together in a very unobvious way. Um, and so uh, I think it was in, in firing people in management that sort of hard choices had to get made. Letting people go for the better of the company. Sacrifice is always involved. Um, I think later in life, the, the really hard no-win scenarios that um, I was up against were um, relationships and, and breakups and things like that. Um, when you're faced with a situation like, you know, you're in a relationship and you really love someone, but they're an alcoholic and abusive and you have to leave them as a result because they won't, you know, stop being an alcoholic and stop being abusive that really hurts, you know, doing things like sending them to jail and moving them out because, you know, they, they hit you in front of their kid. That really hurts. Uh, these are, these are no one scenarios where, you know, nobody, nobody wins out of these decisions. Everybody loses. I lose my best friend and my partner, you know, she lost, uh, you know, her, her living situation and her best friend. And, and those were, those were awful decisions. But then, you know, the other decision was, you know, to face an even worse type of destruction, which is to continue the relationship. So I think that those are, are examples of like no win scenarios that we face where, you know, if we do one thing, we're going to we're going to lose in one big way. But then if we do another thing, we're going to lose in another big way. And either thing that we do, uh, you know, we have to choose the lesser of the evils. And I think that we we actually you know end up choosing the lesser of the evils all the time um, in our lives in in just about every decision that you know makes we make when it comes to law and justice and stuff like that. And sometimes we have to make decisions that are uh, for the good of the many and not the one. So um, 
life can be tough and difficult and doesn't always have a happy ending like a Star Trek episode. Right. Yeah. Well, some of the episodes I, I, I don't, I don't, I expect them to get wrapped up and sometimes I'm a little bit shocked at the end. Uh, so this is Star Trek Sunday's Room in the Atheism Club on Clubhouse. And we're discussing the Kobayashi Maru no win situation. And right now we're talking about uh, the episode Coming of Age, uh, where Wesley had to make a hard choice to save somebody while leaving somebody else, sacrificing somebody else. Uh, this was a test, uh, but it was a uh, a test that I think probably left a lasting uh, impact on him. And we're talking about the hard choices we might have had to make that are similar. Uh, Sean, do you, does anything come to mind, uh, for you about a hard choice that you've had to make that is, uh, similar in nature to this? Um, I can think of some hard choices, but nothing as dramatic or, um, as heart rendering and as long lasting. Um, but I can see that sometimes a choice that I wasn't expecting to have to make suddenly came up and um, it was a surprise. So yeah, that's all, that's all I can think of right now. Mm, thank you. Um, yeah. My first thought about this when I thought, well, how does this play in my life? Um, it, it does play in, in my life as uh, I've worked as a manager and leader of teams and, and having to actually remove somebody from a team in order to make the team stronger. And it, it's, you know, it goes back to that culling of the herd and it hurts the person um, who might have to be fired, but it also might um, help them in some way. I hadn't thought of uh, romance uh, until today. And I was reminded of a time where I was really in love with um, a boyfriend. This was over 20 years ago. And we had been together for eight years. And, um, and it was clear we were in love with each other. And yet I still felt that I needed to break up with him. It wasn't going anywhere. Uh, I don't know where I wanted it to go. But I felt like it... Um, I guess it just wasn't healthy. And I really felt like um, if I stayed in the relationship, I was sacrificing me and him. And it was a no win. And I know that breaking up freed me, but it also hurt him. And so I guess in that moment, I was sacrificing him. I hadn't even thought about this Um deeply until just talking about it and and oddly enough I was speaking to this person yesterday and we were discussing this for the first time in 22 years so perhaps that's why it came up and and these rooms can be a bit cathartic um but uh but that was really hard because um I I felt I was in a no-win situation I never even thought about it at that time in this framework um but it gives me a lot to to think about now and to perhaps uh, reframe some other situations I'd been in, like having to be estranged from my father for 20 years, which was definitely something that um, it was a sacrifice 
but was absolutely necessary. And um, so this whole topic has, and my discussions with T and and today has given me a, a, a lot to think about. And I, I don't want to welcome Steve and the director and Sid to the stage. Um, I do want to keep moving, so I'll ask you guys to uh, give a share um, right after we move on to the next episode so we can get some episodes under our belt and then talk about the whole thing um, as as one. So I'll just uh, let everybody know that this is the Star Trek Sunday's Room on Clubhouse, and we're discussing the Kobayashi Maru no-win situation. Um, I'd like if you don't mind, uh, to invite you to give us a summary of thine own self, and uh, and then I'll I'll ask the question, and uh, and then we can put it to the room. Thine own self, season, uh, TNG season seven episode sixteen. It aired on my birthday, February fourteenth, nineteen ninety four. I remember this episode well. Um, because in it, Data suffers amnesia in a primitive society and has to discover why his radioactive rocks are making people sick without actually knowing about radiation. I remember it being cool because he has to invent a, a microscope and a way of detecting radiation using some of the same primitive methods that like uh, the initial micro developers of the microscope and uh, Marie Curie you know, used to detect radiation. Um, meanwhile, Troy has to, uh, she applies for a promotion to an officer position and has to pass a difficult officer's test. Uh, I chose this episode because initially Troy thinks the final part of the test is a, in the simulation is a Kobayashi Maru style no-win scenario. But then she realizes she can save the ship by sacrificing Geordi LaForge and ordering him to go knowingly to his death. Yeah, I thought, you know, this always, this one reminded me of that, um, of the uh, train track scenario that people talk about all the time. Um, I, I loved this episode. I absolutely loved the um, combination of seeing data in this primitive sort of uh, scenario and then uh, ha having this sort of sideline uh, story of Deanna trying to get this um, uh, this promotion. Um, so I, I I guess my question first first of all, my question is this is a very simple one. it's about the show. Was Riker giving Deanna a hint? <laughs> When he said, I can't let you go forward with this. I have the ship to think about. Because that was the thing that triggered her answer. And so I just want to know from UT if he was if he was feeding her the answer at the time. In in a in a sense he was, because what he was saying to her was, you know, the, the correct answer. Um but but sometimes it takes a good friend to punch us in the face. And I think that's also what he was trying to do. So, you know, be, being fed the answer in this scenario isn't necessarily a bad thing because the the important part is that you learn the lesson and that, you know, and that if it took him punching her in the face and saying, you're not good enough, 
in order for her to come around and say, uh, you know, I get it. The, the ship is more important then then that's what it takes, you know, for her to learn the lesson. And I think that the important outcome of that was her sort of going, you know, questioning, am I really ready for this? And Riker sort of, you know, being his typical smug, smug self and going, yeah, I know, you know, is that, you know, that that's sort of the point I was trying to make to you and, and everything. So I think there was definitely, you know, a, a big hint coming from him at least. Yeah. Do you mind if I step in with that? Sure, director, go ahead. So uh, I agree with T. He, it was as a commander, what he was trying to make clear to her is that even though he values their friendship, he can't give her the answer because his responsible responsibility is to the crew and the greater ship. So he was giving her the answer by demonstrating how it applies. Um, and it was up to the student, in this case, his friend, sometime lover, uh, whether or not she could hear the lesson that he was imparting or whether she was going to reject it because of the source, right? It was a, a demonstration of uh, relational respect. Uh, could she, sep you know, and she's a psychologist, she's Deanna Troy, of course she was going to get it um because that is who she is and that's why he could trust her by giving her the answer that way um you know i think i we are building in a lot um unless t was the scriptwriter on that episode um but in my own life experience when i've dealt with command and intelligent leaders and stuff like that when they have set the the board for me and then allowed me to arrive at the understanding uh you know the lesson is a true lesson because if if someone gives me the step by step i'm still going to balk at it the idea of saving who i can save and and accepting who is lost uh is a difficult lesson to internalize unless you truly understand it like uh, I think it was made, and uh, I just got distracted before I landed my plane. So I land my plane. That was right, right on topic. Um, you, you nailed it in terms of, you know, a, a commander demonstrating to his student um, and, and teaching her the lesson. I think that I think that was right on. Yeah, I appreciate. I appreciate that. I guess I had another question that was, it was about Jordy when she finally goes into this, uh, the, the simulator. And, and of course this is assimilation. So uh, who knows? I'm, I'm sure it was as accurate as they could make it. Um, but what about Jordy and those like him in service? Are they not also making the decision? So this was the question I asked myself, isn't Jordy part of that decision? And, and then I, I thought, well, what would he do? He couldn't run away anywhere. It's not like he could go AWOL. His, it was either he die as one and saves everybody else, or he refuses to do it, ties himself to a post somewhere, and then dies with everybody else. So he was going to die either way. But it got me thinking about the part of the person who's sacrificed, because sometimes they don't know they're being sacrificed, but, but 
sometimes they do. And uh, I just wasn't sure if anybody uh, would would have any experience with that. And and certainly it doesn't have to be a, a death sacrifice. But, you know, has anybody been that person who needed to sacrifice for the greater good, sacrifice themselves for the greater good? Uh, we'll start with you, T. Have you ever had that experience? And then we'll open it up to the, the rest of the people on stage. I know I have it. I, I can't think of a of a time off the top of my head, um, but I, I think that you know there are there are certainly situations where I have stepped up and volunteered to to do that, um, but it wasn't like a death situation. It wasn't um, it wasn't the situation that my father and my grandfather put themselves into when they signed up to uh, fight in World War II and Vietnam, respectively. Um, and, and I think that it's the decision that every soldier makes when he, you know, when he marches into battle, I think it's no different. Uh, Jordi LaForge is a soldier. He, he is a, a, a warrior. If you ask Worf, right. Um, of his own sort and, you know, his decision to sacrifice himself for the crew was no different than Spock's decision to sacrifice himself for the crew. Um, at the end of Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, which is why I chose this, because I think that these two parallels are are strong. Thank you. Um, does anybody else have a, a, a scenario that they want to share with us or some comments on, on the situation? Yeah, a while back. Um, I once made a film about someone feeling guilt because someone uh, was sacrificed in a Navy situation where shipboard if you are sinking you have to close uh it, the dog door um which is a door that can be sealed off and now uh the rest of the ship is not exposed to the inflow of the water therefore the ship may stay afloat and sometimes you have to make that choice with people still in there and you have to decide how long do you wait before you close the door to allow them to get out. And then what happens if you're at the threshold point of closing the door? We've we've seen this in fiction a number of times, but that's because it's a real um, thing that happens. It's a real hard choice that you may have to make if you're in the Navy and you're on a ship. Um, so to understand how you're going to solve that problem is a is a valuable thing when you're in the military um or or when you're in life most civilians will probably end up have to make some choices one way or another similar to this but because they're not confronted with the need to do that they don't necessarily get to explore it outside of fiction you know consuming fiction um one of the ways I exhibited this in the past is when I know that there was a, a layoff about to occur. Uh, I did the mental calculation of, well, I know I've been freelance before and I can get through this and I will figure things out and I have family resources or whatnot. And most of the people that I knew maybe did not have that, uh, that were going to get cut and my salary was more than theirs. So I self-selected myself to be the person to be cut because that salary could be spread of at least two other people 
right? So my cutting as a senior leader, uh, but I was middle management, right? I wasn't actual decision maker. I was just someone who did my work, but at a higher level. I knew that I was the easy cut. Uh, so, but that doesn't change the fact that I'm living with the consequences of that choice now in the fact that I just turned off my internet and I'm still waiting for people to call me back to get hired. I'm still living with the sacrifice. Uh, I'm not saying this because I'm engendering uh, sympathy. I'm just explaining that you, when you make these choices in the moment, that is not an indication that you will remain okay with those choices later on or that the consequences of those choices aren't permanent. At least if you're dying in the moment when you're making the choice, you don't have to live with the guilt of who you left behind. Yeah, I, you know what? I'm really glad that you brought that up. We hear about um, people making those kind of sacrifices. And um, at one point, I had forgotten that at one point when I was at the beginning of COVID, when I was working at a, a private club um, and we had to shut down the restaurant, um, but there was work for the admin staff and management. Uh, but we were really worried about our coworkers um, who were in the service part of the club. Um, and a bunch of us had, had offered when we never had to go through with it um, because I guess once the the higher management realized that we were going to do this. They decided they could make some sacrifices too, I guess. I don't know. But a few of us said, look, I have some banked uh, holiday and I'm, I'm happy to just give that to my coworkers. Right. We, because we just knew once COVID hit and it was a real thing, you know, for me, it, it was, it was, I didn't know when I'd ever get to use you know, my holidays anyway. And, um, and so it was something we had to do right then. Uh, and so it, it wouldn't have been, um, I guess, a sacrifice in that moment, but I would have felt the sacrifice later when I, when I wanted vacation or, or banked pay and, and it wasn't there. Um, so I, I think we see some of these scenarios um, in our lives, or they happen more often than we actually recognize them. Um, we have a few new people in the room, so I'm just going to let everybody know that this is the Star Trek Sundays room in the Atheism Club on Clubhouse. We're discussing the Kobayashi Maru no-win scenario, and uh, we've discussed Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, uh, Coming of Age in the Star Trek The Next Generation, and Thine Own Self, and we're discussing sacrifice in general. Uh, T, is sacrifice something that can be limited? Or are we limiting our ultimate success? Ultimately, I think that sacrifice is required for success. And that's part of how, um, how things have always worked. Prior to us coming on the scene, evolution required, you know, death in, in order to produce selection. And that's, that sacrifice is how um, you know, we, we became the, the survivors of the fittest in the terms of we're the ones that are alive today. And it's a truism that all of our, you know, all of our, our, uh, all of our, um, uh, grandparents, our parents and, and parent and grandparents before them, uh, 
gave birth and in turn sacrificed for us, gave up for us. And that's how we got here. So I think it's one of those things that we have to recognize that when leaders come into leadership, the sacrifices that they make are part of that leadership. And, you know, things like things like people dying as part of COVID, I mean, that was tragic, right? But we got more learned as a society about how to deal with, you know, infectious diseases. And we got better at at that. And so those types of sacrifices are going to be how we as a society get better at things is we're going to encounter these hard things. We're going to have to sacrifice and we're going to hopefully get better and continue onward because the alternative is extinction. Thank you for that. Yeah. I, it, it's, it's heavy when we talk about COVID because it's, it's still here and it's still affecting us. And yet I think it's, uh, it's a must to uh, address those things and acknowledge that. Um, there were two other episodes. Uh, I We don't have to do formal summaries on them, but there was one that, that was the learning curve in Voyager and the Kobayashi Maru, that was the title of it, in Discovery. And um, uh, But instead of going into that, I see where it's, uh, you know, almost 10 to 11. Um, I just wonder if we can open it up to the um, the rest of the the stage and invite them to talk about um, a Kobayashi Maru or no win situation in their own life um, and or what they thought about how it was uh, framed in Star Trek. Um, does anybody have any thoughts? Um, so I guess trying to think about these questions you've been asking, uh, like how it might apply to like my own experiences. The f the only thing I can say comes to mind is like maybe more of like a a, a very micro uh, thing in essence. But like when it comes to me and my friends, and um, you know we're out and we're trying to get food, but they're short on money, or um, there's uh, yeah, or there's just like they're not even short. It's just more convenient because we got a single check, and I like just take it. And I, I feel like a lot of that is just like, for me, I, I willingly bear the brunt of paying for my friend's food and not thinking about if they'll ever pay me back because it's such a small, it's a necessary thing to have food. First of all, I enjoy their company and I, uh, I just think it just gets so petty. I'd rather compete with my friends over which of us is more generous right and keep the ones that want to play that game with me as a, and maybe spend less time with those that like um not just they're like desperate and just never have the money but like those that are like they've got the money but they never return the favor um and so like i said it's, it's kind of like a micro level of seeing that kind of um Maybe it's a no win in some situations, but it's also just m more to the fact of I'm willing to take the brunt of it with most of my friends because uh, I, I just enjoy their company. I enjoy the, the fact that I can be able to help them out if, it, if it's in any way inconvenient to them. Um, as far as my thoughts on the Kobayashi Maru itself, I notice there's always this trend where pretty much every time that it comes up, no matter what format, uh, and I feel like it's both, 
it, it says something about writing. And I also feel on a level that it's, it's, it's a little lazy in terms of writing and that there's always someone cheats, right? Someone cheats to win. And while I kind of understand like that's supposed to be the only way you could win the Kobayashi Maru, as far as like digging deeper into like, well, what does that say about somebody, right? Or maybe those who don't cheat, what does it say about them? The ways that they maybe went down with the ship or maybe just tried to save everybody, right? They should be evaluated if it's a proper test, right? They say on their responses, but none of the writing ever goes into detail of like, we knew this, you know, next position would be a great fit for you because you tended to always seek a means of sacrificing yourself uh, for the crew and making sure others survived uh, while you never did, right? Um, it's really like, or, or if there's another kind of role or position, or maybe if there's some bad, bad results, right? If there's something that's unwanted, well, then how do you deal with that in Starfleet? How do you maybe give them some, some kind of counseling or, or direction to say like, right. yeah, you're trying to be the only survivor while everybody dies. It's just, we're not going to give you captain, yeah. but let's, let's talk about this a bit. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I have to agree. Uh, I do. I, I would have, I would have liked to have seen a little bit more, um, you know, even, even from the people who didn't pass because of, you know, that it was to evaluate how they handle the situation. Um, and, uh, and then to, to know what they think about how those things were handled would have been uh, interesting for me just to to learn. Uh, T, I noticed that you unmiked when uh, Steve was talking about um, paying at restaurants, and and I wondered if you did that because uh, I thought that there was some uh, parallel uh, with what you had said about the sacrifice, and 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 to me, I thought that um, his risk of of paying to be around people. Um, who, you know, and developing a community of like-minded people um, is sacrificing and, and taking a risk uh, for ultimate success of being around really good people. But I wasn't sure uh, what you were going to say, but uh, I, I, I was going to pass it to you. Thank you. Yes. Um, what Steve said was, was brilliant because it, it triggered a memory. Um, I was, I was, I think, sev 16 or 17, uh, 16 and 17, I should say, um, uh, had had a friend who who thought I just was a great friend. I thought he was a great friend. We were we were really great friends for each other. We were really close. Um, we'll call him Tim. We'll give him a name. Um, Tim was a, a great looking guy. Got the girls. I was not. I was awkward. I was you know not not exactly the the type who who got to sleep around but he he did you know um and together we would we would go on all these adventures and he would want to go to uh chilies and and or not chew chilies but chewies and other other places like that and i didn't have any money and he had this big ford that he would drive around and pay for gas and when it came time to pay for money or pay for food he would just buy me something he would just you know what do you want? I'm like, well, I don't have any money. And it's like, I, I don't care. What do you want? You know? <laughs> and the first time that he did this, this was really awkward. And then it sort of became a thing. And after, I don't know, seven or, or eight times of this happening, I was like, wow, this is really, this is really different. It feels different. 
And it became something that I admired and, and understood and started doing for my friends. And once I had a job later, um, 19 going on 20, but I remember very clearly, um, you know, getting, I think for Christmas or something, a hundred dollar bill from my grandmother and just going straight to Tim with it. And, you know, here you go. Thank you for all the times that, you know, you, you bought me food and everything. I wanted to give something back to you. And he just took it and he went straight to the mall with me and bought a hat for himself, you know, with, you know, $89 hat with tax or whatever, you know, and, and that was just, it was, it was just a thing. It would felt really good to have a friend that, that cared like that. And it felt really good to do that for other people. So I just wanted to thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, thanks for the story. That was awesome. Uh, I, I was reminded of the times where um, I've I've paid for people and, and some of my other friends have just picked up the tab. But sometimes that's because we know we're with people who need to dust off their wallet in order to pay for themselves. And it's just too awkward and embarrassing to kind of work it out. It's just easier on my soul to just get it done, make sure the server has a tip and move on with the evening. Um, it has nothing to do that. It's almost a selfish thing for me. Um, but I guess ultimately over the years, it's a, a sacrifice of, of money. Um, Sid and Alexander, welcome to the stage. Uh, did you want to contribute anything at this time to Star Trek Sundays? Well, um, I just want to say I actually have a scenario, if that's okay. Um, oh, please. Yeah, so I um, I actually have two, um, but the one I think is more relevant is um, I very, very, very brief background. Had an employee um, that just had two kids, is on parental leave, comes back um, the Monday before Christmas. I think Christmas was on Tuesday or Wednesday. Comes back the Monday before Christmas, does something to make someone angry. That someone he made angry was a director or vice president level important person. And they say, you have to fire this guy. Now, he's just had twins. He's just come back from maternity leave, and it's the day before Christmas. And um, I told the person that I told my boss that I didn't think it was appropriate to fire the person. It was a relatively minor offense. And that, um, you know, obviously, you know, it's Christmas. Let's not do that. And so um, they told me that it was basically him or it was him and me. And so I made the decision to obviously do as I was told. But I asked, could we please do it the day after Christmas? So we terminated the guy the day after Christmas when he returned to work. And he cried in my office and said, I wish you had done it the day before, because now I can't return those gifts I gave. Wow. What did you take from that? It was not necessarily quite the Kobayashi Maru, you know, typical, you know, there's some secret way out. It's a truly unwinnable situation. And all you can do is save yourself. And um, it's, it's terrible, you know, and sometimes we do find ourselves in those very, very tough spots. And there's no cheating. Yeah. I mean, I mean, if you had to do that over again and it was Christmas again, 
would you take that as a lesson? And, and as I still think I would find it hard to fire somebody before Christmas, but knowing what you've just said, it would make me consider that. And, um, you know, because he could have taken the gifts back and had that money, I guess. Uh, it, but is it, is it up to us to micromanage other people's lives as well? That's uh, thank you so much for sharing, is, Sid. Is, yeah, yeah, no, those are great questions, and I, I just want to say, uh, if I knew then what I know now, that would be cheating, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Hi, Christy. Uh, I know you've been listening for a while. Um, this is Star Trek Sundays in the Atheism Club uh, on Clubhouse, and we're discussing the Kobayashi Maru no win scenario. Uh, what are your thoughts on this today? Well, actually, I I have been listening for a while, and I've really been enjoying it. I have never been here before, I don't think. Um, but uh, I just, when Sid made his comment, that was when I immediately felt like I needed to come on stage, because you can only ever make your decision based on the information you have. So I don't know, when you say, well, it's cheating to make a decision based on information I have later, I don't know, I just, it just, it just really hit me when you said that. And I was just like, hmm, um, because you can only ever make a decision based on the information you have. And one of the other things I thought was really interesting, because um, we were because I, I agree with you, Victoria, when um, when he cheated to win the co, co the I can't say it. <laughs> um, I had to practice too, Kobayashi Maru. <laughs> You know, I, I agreed entirely because I was like, it felt to me like it was cheating. But then when it all sort of, I list, you know, I, I watched the shows and all that kind of stuff. And I was starting to realize, you know, well, if it isn't truly an unwinnable situation, he did think out of the box and figure out a way to win. And so in a way, like I loved the whole, well, he thought outside of the box and that's really cool. So even though I didn't like that he cheated, it was also interesting to look at it from a different perspective. And anyway, I, I don't know. I'm just, I'm thinking about a lot of things and I guess I'm not making as much sense as I was hoping, but you really can only ever make a decision based on the information you have. And the fact that you didn't have that information said, I don't know. It's interesting too, because I, I'm always, I try to always be about full transparency and about, um, letting people know things and also asking people like what is it that they want so i wonder if if you had been able to ask the guy hey you know would you prefer to be fired today before christmas or after christmas because unfortunately i have to do that i i don't know but the thing is that we don't live in a world where we can necessarily say that so anyway it was just some thoughts i was thinking thank you for um bringing me up and letting me speak I personally, Chrissy, first of all, thank you so much for coming up and speaking. Um, I personally think that you are bringing up um, uh, something that we should do an entire show on, which is making, a decision, making decisions on limited information. Um, because I think that that is a topic that actually gets dealt with um, a lot in, in Star Trek. And so I think you're making such a, a relevant and, and good point and something that I'm going to um, consider heavily in the shows to come. So thank you so much for that contribution. Yeah, I appreciate your perspective as well, uh, 
Christy. Um, I guess I thought to myself when you were talking, if Sid told the guy that he was getting fired either way, that basically solves the problem because I, I, I suspect that Sid didn't want to tell him before Christmas because then the guy would have a low mood during the Christmas festivities and we were just trying to, you know, put that off. Um, but at the same time, that just seems micromanaging somebody else's um, life in some way. Um, what a tough situation though. Um, Yuri, welcome to the stage. Um, we're just sort of going a little bit popcorn here. It's the Star Trek Sunday's room in the Atheism Club on Clubhouse. And we're discussing Co the Kobayashi Maru no-win scenario. Um, did you have any thoughts to share at this time? Yeah, when I was in, in college, um, I, was, I was taking this security class and one of the assignments was to, uh, to attack the server. And the idea was to, to trigger uh, this, this program that, that was on the server, but wasn't, you, you couldn't directly uh, trigger it. Like you had to break into the server to trigger it, which would then send an email to the professor and say like, well, they've successfully done this. And then based on whether how many of these you got, like you got either a good grade or a bad grade. And so we figured out a way how to trigger uh, this email for the entire class. Like we, we found a, a pretty significant vulnerability there that he did not see. And we, we essentially had access to the entire server. And we did this, right? So we did this, we sent, an, we sent just, uh, we basically gave everybody an A in the class. And then uh, the professor was very excited about this, right? He was, he was like, well, basically you, outdid yourselves because the whole point like you cheated but also like that was the whole point of the exercise right was to was to break into the server and you did that like extra hard so great right and so i think it depends like the cheating depends on what the purpose of the exercise was and so with the kobayashi maru uh, i kind of takes what what in the new movie spock says something like uh, not only did you fail the test or not only did you cheat, but you also failed to understand the purpose of the test. And so that's kind of where I am on this, right? Because the, the way that in which he cheats on the test, at least in the, in the new movie, kind of bypasses the purpose of why the test was initiated. It's not applicable to the scenario. Like he would not have been able to do that same thing in that scenario had he been in that exact same scenario. And so if you could, if, if he had found some loophole, let's say with the Klingons, he had found some loophole in their systems or something like that, and it was applicable, then I would say, well, yeah, sure, he cheated. He didn't, he didn't solve the problem in the way that it was intended, but it doesn't really matter because he still solved the problem. But in this case, it seems like, well, he cheated the, the simulation program. I mean, he, he, like, he broke into the simulation program, and that seems... Uh, well, so he didn't actually successfully solve the problem at hand. So for me, that kind of defeats the purpose of the exercise. And so I don't, I'm not really impressed by that. Yes. Yes, that's, he avoided the test. <laughs> you know, he, he avoided what the test was, essentially. Yeah, uh, that's great. Thank you for that. It, it makes sense to me now. I, I have a problem with cheaters. It's a trigger to me, cheaters and liars. Um, so that kind of bothered me, but um, I, I'm not as angry now at Kirk. I just think, well, too bad for you because you didn't get to find out how you would behave in that scenario. And that's what that whole thing was about. Um, yeah, that's that's wild. 
Um, I did watch the um, the other episodes uh, that are in the link tree for this one, which was the learning curve in Voyager. Uh, and I just wanted to bring that up because I thought that was just, I loved that episode. Of course, I, I you know, all the episodes I've watched, I've loved because I like the show, but I hadn't watched Voyager before. Um, and this one was where uh, they had some McKee ma personnel on board who were not behaving all that well. And uh, Tuvok had to conduct training on them as if they were in um, uh, cadets, right? They were treated like cadets. And, um, and I, I liked this. It, it was, it was really interesting for me. And I, I don't know if anybody else remembers it. And I'm, I'm not quite sure. Um, I'm hoping T can tell us about this uh, episode and how the Kobayashi Maru no win scenario uh, fits in here and so I'll, I'll pass it to T I just, I'm putting him on the spot a little bit but I'm hoping we can move on to that because I really liked this episode as well it was a it was a fun episode um the, the it started out with the discipline act disciplinary action by Tuvok of a couple of cadets but the cadets just weren't interested in you know being disciplined and so uh, further disciplinary action was ordered and then action that disciplinary action took the form of like a real series of of sort of boot camp style training and that boot camp style training included a kobayashi maru scenario at the end um and so i thought it was a great episode because there was some really colorful characters especially the the blue alien running around he reminded me of uh, I think it was Mordok in uh, in the first uh, in in the first episode in the first uh, movie that we revisited, Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan, which brings up a point that you made um, that's gotten made a couple times here. In the beginning, the Federation was doing the same test over and over and over. Kirk figured out how to avoid the test, and that was you know a prompt to the Federation to start evolving the test. And I think that's why they started personalizing the test. And Victoria, you brought up a really good point about personalizing the test for Wesley, because when Mordok went, uh, you know, walked out of the test, he was rubbing his hand, like something had like, you know, inflicted pain on it or, or fake pain, or there was something going on there. And so I think that there was something very personal to him um, as it was personal to Wesley. Again, that personalization occurred in um, this episode where they were given another Kobayashi Maru psych test. And so I think that there was, you know, a, a theme that was being evolved over and over and over again here of, you know, showing showing the cadets what, what leadership really requires, which is sacrifice. Right, yeah, I I really loved this episode, um, and I loved the way they um, sort of blended the two because there was the um, the situation with the cheese causing a bacteria to go through and affect some of the um, oh I'm, I don't know what they're called they were bio batteries of some sort, and um, and the the person that the chef, the person working in the um, uh, canteen was giving Tuvok, the, the Vulcan, the, the lesson, 
in not being too brittle or you'll break and and being strong and being able to be bendable and and that's when he sort of made a little bit of a change with how he was um dealing with the cadets um and and then of course ultimately how they they came around to him as well um once he put out an olive branch um just want to put it to the uh, uh the stage if anybody else has any other comments i i really liked that episode and the kobayashi maru of discovery um and i'll i'll just remind everybody if you, if you like this uh sort of discussion we're going to continue these and the link at the top which is the star trek sunday's link tree has the episodes that we've discussed today as well as the episodes uh that we'll be reviewing next week when we talk about psychological warfare so there's uh two parts uh the chain of command part one and part two uh the future imperfect and the perfect mate and then the week after that we'll be talking about the sacrifice of leadership so i'm i'm hoping that that these uh topics interest you and that the uh, the way we frame them with getting to watch star trek and uh and having these prompts to remind us of how these things uh work out in our own lives uh is enjoyable and and productive uh so i'll I'll open up the stage if anybody wants to discuss anything about uh the kobayashi maru and and how it it uh, works in their life or what they've thought about how it was seen in Star Trek. Uh, the stage is open. What's up? Oh, I can't oh, sorry. hear you at all, T. Yeah, it, his mic needs to work, warm up. Sorry, T, go ahead. Can you hear me now? Yes. Yeah, yeah, it just, it takes about five seconds. I can see what the problem is. Um, I just don't know how to fix it. So I'm so sorry about that. Um, I wanted to mention the, the character that you mentioned that was teaching Tuvok was Neelix. And Neelix was this wonderfully colorful character who really brought a lot of life to um, Voyager. And I think that, you know, that was one of the, the strengths of Voyager was that it wasn't these, you know, it wasn't really focused on like these space battles. It was more focused on like, you know, being, you know, um, part of the crew and working out these situations. Um, and I think it was very human focused and, and, uh, you know, this was an interesting episode and, you know, not all of them can be as interesting as this one, but I think this was a really a highlight in the series. So sorry, go ahead, Steve. Yeah. So I just wanted to note, like with so many interesting, um, stories where people feel like they're, they've been in a Kobayashi Maru scenario by having to fire people. Um, I want to compare, like, look at Star Trek and its society, the, Fer the Federation, and, like, ask yourselves, like, do they have to fire people? I'm sure they do, right? But obviously, like, what seems to be the case that's kind of hinted at, I think, is they have a guaranteed jobs program. And so having to fire somebody isn't, a real threat against the the well-being of the individual they'll still move on and do probably great things in some different way uh we definitely i think have the ability to do that in our society uh not to start getting political but i just wanted to point that out like the the sheer difference between our reality and this this fictional one um that's actually kind of an interesting point because they don't have like a death cycle right but 
what is something that we haven't touched on is there's the issue of like choosing to make a personal sacrifice. There's the issue of choosing to sacrifice someone against their will. But what is quite possibly the hardest issue is asking someone to voluntarily, knowingly make a sacrifice. And I think that's, that's maybe the hardest of those three. Yeah, having to ask somebody, I mean, I, first of all, welcome to the stage, Rascal. <laughs> welcome to Star Trek Sundays. Um, Sid, that's really interesting because earlier when uh, we were talking about sacrifice, I was thinking of my dad and my uncles and cousins who were all firefighters. And they went into it for, I guess, various and maybe common reasons. Um, but they made that. Nobody went to them and said, will you be this firefighter? Will you walk into a burning building to save other people? Right? The ask is is interesting. And even when um, people in the military are asked to sacrifice, they're already taking people from a pool of volunteers. Um asking people to sacrifice is almost like the draft. Um, but with that, that's forced. That's making that decision for them. Yeah, I, I, I'm just, I'm trying to think of scenarios where we where we do that in real life, where we ask somebody to sacrifice. If anybody has any comments. Oh, T, go ahead. It's your Wrath of Khan scenario, right? Like it's your, um, you know, James wanting to pull the lever and Spock saying, no, you're the captain. This is, you know, I have to do this or I, I can't be the one to make the sacrifice because I'm more important than you. You have to do this for me. I think that's a, a really good point because, um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of sacrifice in terms of people, uh, people are in relationships and they, you know, they have to go and do jobs that they don't want to do just to earn money for the family, um, you know, asking them to go do that. We, we do that. Um, asking them to, you know, to help us with things or, or stuff like that. You know, there's little, there's little stuff and there's big stuff like asking a friend to, you know, help you move or something, uh, or, you know, or, or doing stuff like that. There, there are asks that we make and then there are things that are asked of us. Um, and sometimes, you know, sometimes they're asks and sometimes there are things that we just step up to do. But, you know, at the end of the day, if, if we didn't do them, you know, somebody would step up and, and have to say, you know, hey, uh, can you help me with this or can you do this? Right. Uh, you know, if somebody if, if we weren't earning money in the house, then <laughs> some, that question would have to get asked. How are we going to pay the rent? Right. Uh, so. It, it is really interesting that you bring up Victoria uh, firefighters because that leads me to think of um, other roles, right? The jobs that require um, really just being prepared for that no-win scenario and being ready to be one who makes the sacrifice as necessary. Like I'm an Air Force veteran, right? And during basic training, I learned how to shoot an M16, and it was made very clear to us that, like, in some given scenario, like, yeah, I was an infantry, so it's not likely, but I could be deployed, and I could find myself on a caravan trying to move uh, from one location to another with a team of people, uh, and there would likely be infantry there available, but they still might hand me a gun and be like, ready to to. Um, 
you know, put myself on the line if necessary um, uh, for, for the sake of whatever the mission happens to be. And so I, I'd say like pretty much every veteran, right? Every veteran who at least passes basic training and uh, goes on to serve, we, we have the Kobayashi Maru scenario in mind, right? Is why I give a credit, despite I, I would argue it's a bad decision to make today. Like it's a, an irrational one, in my opinion. Um, but when you make it, like I always say, you make it for the right reasons because you have that no win scenario in mind that might be the case. It might have, have to happen and you have to be prepared for it. I, I really do think that you have the best parallel, Steve. I think that. Um being a soldier is is the ultimate you know sacrifice that that we can make that someone can make like like my grandfather and my father fighting in a war um or, or any or any soldier i think that you know them, them signing up uh to to do that service for us so that i can have the freedom that i have that is you know the the ultimate act of sacrifice i think that's the the, the best parallel So that leads me to this next question uh, for everybody. Um, but T, if, if you want to take it uh, first, um, we, we see that this is a theme in this television show. And, and for people who love the show, they know what this is, they've contemplated it, maybe they've had these thoughts in their heads uh, for the last 40, 50 years, however long it's come out. And... And in the military, we see this sort of training and, and perhaps even, you know, when you join the, uh, a, to be a firefighter or a police officer or something where you will be in danger. And then how do you make that sacrifice of you versus someone else? But it's led me to think over this week that there's this gap missing, that this is a kind of situation that should be discussed, these scenarios should be discussed as people are growing up and are in high school and college, and, and perhaps they are in, in discussed in some philosophy rooms. But I'm just wondering if, two things. Have you seen this discussed as, as a lesson to be learned for contemplation, for, to help people mature, to help people make decisions. Um, have you seen it discussed somewhere else other than TV and in the military or first responders? Um, uh, and if so, where? And if not, should it be? And how would that, how, what would that look like? Uh, so T, I don't know if you've thought about this, uh, but I'll invite you to speak first and then we can open it up to the rest. I've certainly watched a lot of um, war movies, and the first the the first one that comes to mind is Saving Private Ryan, and you know the the, the first people to to uh, you know march onto the battlefield are you know the sacrificial lambs, um, and and they they potentially pave the way uh, for for those who come later, or sometimes they just get mowed down for for no reason at all. Right. And that's that's the, the, the ugliness of war. And I think that there's, you know, that that type of thing is explored in a lot of good um, war movies where, you know, depictions of the, these types of sacrifices get made in in a very realistic way. Um, you know, full metal jacket, 
uh, comes to mind. Um, there's 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 some uh, even going all the way back to like uh, Bridge on the River Kwai. That was a good a good one where where you know sacrifices were made, right? Yeah, right. I, I I'm gonna I gotta date myself because I, I I love that movie. Of course, I I wasn't around when it first came out, but I I do love the the music to it as well. Um, but but you bring up war movies, right? I think these are really important lessons. And unless somebody watches a war movie or Star Trek, they're not getting they're not getting to contemplate these things um, at a, a time where it would help them develop. Um, and I, I feel sometimes when I watch this stuff later in life, I feel ripped off that I didn't have this knowledge earlier. <laughs> so anybody else have comments on that? I, I think this, uh, like, this speaks a lot to uh, some things that I've wanted to push for forever. One that I definitely think philosophy should be a subject, like a main subject for um late elementary school kids and going into um into high school it should be a major uh a topic uh in my opinion alongside uh psychology because people should be thinking about this at these sorts of things at this stage of their lives where everything that comes and follows after uh is of the utmost importance it's like one of the most um important priming you know stages in your life of development that you're that'll that'll set your path into something that's definitely what you want versus been being propagandized or manipulated into serving the wills of others and um i think being able to learn how to think critically and for yourself is really important for that um also to point out um this is what i've been saying a lot with regards to education and entertainment entertainment has a, a a primary direct a prime directive of getting your attention right while while uh education has a prime directive of giving you information and knowledge and the two are not mutualistically exclusive in reality i always i always speak to this idea like entertainment and education should always try to be aspire to be the same thing um where there's an educator who's boring, they're not really getting through and getting the intention of their, their students. Where there's an entertainer that's not enrich, enriching their audience, they're just filling our heads with jargon and useless you know, crap, and it's just lazy writing, bad research on their part. But to your point, these movies, uh, war movies and Star Trek, they, they really educate, and that should probably be a part of the more official process, I think. Yeah, I, I <laughs> it it it's yeah, it's it's funny when you were talking about that I was thinking about the uh YouTubers that I enjoy most and and some of them who've actually inspired me to to not be so afraid of science and and uh learn a little bit like I'm I'm following this one YouTuber right now talking about paleontology and and uh you know millions of years ago and and hominids from tens of thousands of years ago and uh it's something that i've never really cared about like i knew about it and that was great but the way he delivers it just gets me going because he's funny and he's casual and and so you know he might not be for everybody but i i have to say that it 
what you just said spoke to me because he is entertaining. I watch it because I like him and I like his delivery. And it feels like the learning, though it was initially what I went for, it feels like the learning is is secondary to that. Uh, so we'll probably wrap up in a few minutes. I just uh, want to ask if anybody has any uh, closing thoughts. I'll pass it to T first. So T, uh, do you have any final thoughts on the Kobayashi Maru? Not any thoughts on the Kobayashi Maru, but I did want to tease uh, the following weeks, if that's okay with you. Absolutely. Please do. Um, so, oops, I don't want to edit it. So coming up, we have next week, we're doing the psychological warfare um, featuring, you know, the uh, absolutely classic episodes, Chain of Command, part one and part two, in which uh, Picard is kidnapped um, and drugged and uh, uh, forced to say that there are uh, three lights instead of instead of four, when you clearly see that there are four lights or uh and so uh, this is one of the really big acting moments in uh, Picard's, uh, in, in um, Patrick Stewart's career, um, because I really felt that he brought his, his Broadway experience to, to this episode, um, followed by Future Imperfect, in which um, <clears throat> Riker is part of a, he's doing a play on board the Enterprise about being a prisoner. And the play sort of comes to life and he sort of gets trapped uh, switching between realities. Um, and then the perfect mate in which uh, uh, the Picard takes on a um, uh, someone who's supposed to be a, a, a perfect mate for someone else. And she sort of, you know, uh, Picard gets like a taste of what it was like to have like a mate that's perfect um, because she sort of like gets a, a liking for him. So I'm really looking forward to that. The week after that, we're going to be doing the Sacrifice of Leadership. I'm going to be getting the episodes pinned into the link tree, so you can go ahead and watch them ahead of time. And I really hope to uh, see you then. I'm also going to set up uh, the upcoming uh, the upcoming uh, topic, which may be, um, oh, what was it? Uh, uh, Christie's really great uh, topic, um, making decisions on limited information. I'm going to think more about that, see if I can't work that in to future episodes. So I do hope to see you next week. Uh, we'll be doing this every week at 10 o'clock Pacific um, right here in the Atheism Club. And I do hope to also see you in the hallways before then. Thanks, T. Uh, yeah, I, I'm so... Um, thank you so much for setting up the uh, link tree and all those episodes because I've enjoyed being able to go back to that, using that as a resource, um, going into the, um, the the fandom page, getting a little overview of it if I wanted to read it, and then uh, finding the episodes online and streaming them. It's it's just been a, a really helpful resource, so I appreciate that. And uh, and with that, I'll I'll leave the room open for about ten more seconds. And um, so that people can save the, the link tree and then I'll close the room and uh, yeah, we'll see you in the hallways. Thank you, everybody. <laughs>